Yo, what's poppin' people? It's your boy Cass here once again. Stay Less Podcast brought to you by Whistle Sports and Brother. Uh, happy Monday, people. Good uh, day or evening or whenever you get in this uh, podcast to your streams. Um, hope everybody out there staying safe, staying safe, staying free. I want to thank all of you guys who checked out the first episode of Say Less with Kaz on Whistle Sports and Brother on YouTube or social media, wherever you saw our interviews with the UFC middleweight champion of the world, Israel Adesanya, Wale, you know what I mean? Um, shit, uh, Shanae Gumike, WNBA, ESPN star. Um, basically, you know, I uh, really appreciate everybody kind of supporting the endeavor right now. Um, now is not the time for people to be quiet. Now is not the time for people to feel... Uh, you know, feel downtrodden, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's been a, a, an incredible week for everybody that's, uh, you know, a young man, black man, a uh, person who's, you know, just just has a heart, you know? And uh, as much tragedy, as much terror, and, and from the disease to murders to protesting to looting to everything that's going on in the world it's really really starting to see or or, or I'm starting to really see the goodness in so many people and I hate to get all preachy and moody with people that listen to the podcast for the fun stuff and I promise you this is a fun episode as well we got my good friend Andreas Hale on the show of the zone uh, and sporting news, combat sports, to talk some UFC 250. But uh, before I get into all that, man, I just want to give a special shout out to uh, my boy Cam. He had a, uh, a, I don't even know what to call it, but a meeting of the minds uh, called Self Care with uh, some of the most uh, incredible uh, black minds and, and, and thought starters and, and culture leaders uh, that we have to offer from every world of this industry, I guess, uh, from, you know, tech leaders to sports, uh, dames to names in media to, you know, absolute legends, athletes, everybody from all walks of life, all kind of coming together to really discuss, um, you know, what we can do just going forward and just knowing what this moment is for, you know, young black Americans, uh, male and female. Um, it's been an incredible, just last few days and uh you know from everything we've seen to the laws changing and and you know people coming together and just the revolutionary feel that everything just kind of feels right now you know what i'm saying like with everything going on and it's impossible to miss it you know it, it feels like we're truly living in, in in a revolutionary era for 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 young for young people in general, um, led by some beautiful black men and women. And I, I, I get emotional even thinking about it because, you know, sometimes I never thought I'd, I would live to really see some of these days. And I feel like I've, I've said that a lot in the past year, whether it's a, a global pandemic, whether it's, you know, idols leaving us way too soon and, and the way people come together, whether it's, you know, the, the person who's who's leading us right now, and I use that term leadership extremely loosely, um, it's been just incredible just to see the way 
people are really starting to come together. And I, I really, God, I, I swear to God, I really hope this isn't just lip service from people that are, uh, you know, are, are taking a stand finally, you know, like I, I really do feel like, you know, it always took, you know, it, it, we're, we're all, we're all grown up and, and, and read history books and seen old documentaries or just on the ways that people of, of, you know, like black people have been treated throughout American history. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, it was always rough because we always had this existential dread of no change ever really happening. And, um, you know, just going through the same sad, vicious circle that we've always been through when it's come to just systemic racism and, and the way that you just, God, I wish I could explain it. Just, just always kind of feeling like you're playing from behind. And it seems like for the first time in my entire life that like we're, we're really living in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a revolutionary period of time for black people. Um, granted, the race isn't even over yet. It's, it's far. We're far too in it. You know, what I mean, it's, we're definitely not even really started the actual long haul of what we're going to be going up against for the next, you know, several years. But it's amazing to know that this is really a tipping point. And I feel like we've had many tipping points in the past couple of years that always kind of fizzled out because we've always had other things to take our attention away or other other ways that we've always became more divisive within each other. But I'm just seeing like the kindness and, you know, the way people are starting to come together as far as not necessarily feeling like we're so quick to just assume the worst is going to happen. You know what I mean? Because that's something that us as, as black folks has always really uh, adapted because of, you know, the nature of what we've grown with, um, grown up with rather, but just little things I've been noticing, man, like, yeah, and I talk about it with Andreas on, on this episode, but, you know, just seeing athletes really starting to lean into their voice and, and, and give truth to power and, and, and take it to action. And, you know, not just that people putting where their money, the money where their mouth is, you know, I feel like for the first time ever, the entire world is really, really starting to, to, to we're starting to see the seeds planted to what could possibly be, you know, could possibly be a, a true change in equality for the entire world. It's always kind of felt like this, this utopian thought that never really could actually work or be true and just seem too far away. But, you know, there's, there's little things happening here and there that, you know, is giving me hope. Um, whether that's, and, and I love that it's not just an online thing, man. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a big social media guy. I'm somebody who stays on the internet a lot and, you know, watch a lot of TV. And I know that the world is much bigger than what we get fed on those screens and, and all types of screens. But it's incredible to really see right now that at a time where we really all could have just fallen apart as a society, um, we're starting to see the winds of change really start to happen.
granted, I don't want to be, and maybe I'm being a little bit too optimistic. That's also totally possible. I could definitely be, you know, feeling like that, you know, in a few weeks, something's going to happen. That's really just going to shut me down completely. And that's kind of what this entire experience has been like. It's been times where I feel like so completely hopeless in 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 the faith in human beings and then there's certain times where I feel like you know we it, things are finally going to start changing around here because people are actually listening people are actually listening and people are actually doing you know what is right you know even if it's it's almost like become the cool thing to do and I don't know how long that's going to last and I don't want that to be something that you know, just comes and, and goes once we have other things to worry about with, you know, the sports and entertainment and society starting to get away from home and, and quarantine starting to be over. I hope this is something we really hold on to. Um, I hope there's protest every day. You know what I mean? Like, I hope there's people taking action every day. You know, like, I hope this is something that finally allows the world to heal from the poison that's you know, especially in that United States, the poison that's that's been in the in the in the veins of this United States of America since its inception. Like it's almost like when you read your history books and you always feel like, damn, like people was really fucking out here like savages, like just really just killing people and genocide and da 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 and like you know, but you know, you almost kinda of put it to your back of your head because you see well, at the end of the day, like this is, you know, this is what made this country and this country is really free. But now you've seen through through certain things like the pandemic and you've seen certain things like the way people have universally condemned some of the most easily condemnable shit for our entire lives that just never seemed like we that people think we would just be bullshit when we tell you about this. You know, like, people think, oh, well, you know, it's not that bad. Oh, well, you know, yeah, black people get over this. Like, you know, I feel like now for the first time, we're really starting to put the pressure on people to do what this country was, was made to do. And we're going to see where that takes us. Um, people that, within the sound of my voice, I hope that this is not a, uh, this doesn't fall on deaf ears. And I may be ranting a little bit because I just feel like, I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a place that I'm in a place where I feel hopeful for the first time in, in a long, long time. I feel very, very hopeful. Sure, there's gonna be something that probably happens within the next twenty four hours that kills that hope and sends it spiraling back down. But right now, like right this second, I feel like it is we're gonna be alright. I feel like the world's finally had enough. And that's all you can really ask for. On today's episode of Say Less, I got a really good friend of mine, Andreas Hale. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he's one of the best followers in combat sports. Um, there was a big, I mean, it's been a huge combat sports weekend um, as far as, you know. And, we'll, and this week, obviously, we'll get into, you know, the return of the NBA and, you know, the, the whole Drew Brees stuff. And, you know, we'll get into all that stuff this week. And holy hell, and, and Major League Baseball, whether they're going to come back or not. Um, I want to make sure that certain episodes are focused on certain things so you guys can check out uh, the show on Whistle Sports on Friday and get a real, uh, you know, bite out of what the what the content I'm putting out is really all about. 
Um, but on this episode, I really want to focus on UFC 250 and, you know, just the UFC in general. I feel like they're so extremely interesting right now because, you know, granted, they're one of the only sports leagues that really didn't miss a beat when this whole thing started happening. Uh, but now some, some, a lot of things are starting to rise from the, from the abyss as far as how some of their superstars are being treated. You know, like you got three top stars in the past two weeks. That's Jorge Masvidal, who holds the BMF title, a title that was literally made for him. Um, Conor McGregor, you know I mean? He's almost transcended the UFC at this point, one of the most famous athletes on the planet. And John Jones, probably the best fighter in UFC history. All three of them threatening to leave the company. And, you know, one of them actually saying he's going to retire. Um, so uh, on top of all that, with that big shadow cast over this event, there's also, you know, the fights and <laughs> as a, as a stupid, hungry, bloodthirsty American, I am that is fiending for sports and has been thirsty since March. The fights couldn't be better. <laughs> the fights could not have been better, uh, with my, with Aljamain Sterling and, uh, you know, uh, God, the Takashi hair looking dude, we talk about him. Uh, man, I don't want to get his name wrong because he'll probably fuck me up. But, uh, you know, the bantamweight division's crazy. And Amanda Nunez getting that goat talk. Um, shoot, it's it's an incredible time for the UFC right now. Extremely interesting. So I want to get Andreas on the show today. He's an incredible human being. Um, somebody who, you know, is also on the front lines uh, and using his voice. Has always used his voice to speak truth to power. Um, when it comes to, you know, black men and women and, and equality in, in all sports and being one of the few, very few minority voices in the world of combat sports. He's, he's down in Las Vegas and he gets into them fights every, every week. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great talk. So if you're into the UFC, if you're into fighting, uh, if you're into, you know, just the business side of, of why some of these, uh, superstars have not transcended or, Feel like they're kind of getting gypped, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's a great talk, but Emilio, I mean, shit, you know what to do. I, gosh, usually don't talk this much, but if you will ever do me the honors and please hit the motherfucking music. We were talking before I hit the record button, and like most, you know black folks and most uh conversations that i've had in the past two weeks first thing i asked was was how, how you holding up man how you doing and we both just kind of <sighs> just hit each yeah. other with a, with a long sigh so man asking again how you holding up brother you know it's funny because you you sit there and uh you don't really get how heavy it is until someone as you wake up and you just your soul is exhausted and yeah. I've never, you know, it's hard to put it into words, especially with, with white people that call you and be like, how are you holding up? And you're like, yeah, I'm good, but you're really not. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those days you take a deep breath. And you're like, all right, it's, I can't stop being black. So I got to keep going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But other than that, I'm good, man. But what about you? How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right, man. I feel like uh, in the weird way, all the white folks that reached out to me, it's, it's almost like they're reaching out to me like, you know, and and I say this kind of like as a Knicks fan, like they're reaching out to me like my team just lost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's always that weird conversation with people like that, you know, are, are your friends and care about your well-being. And it's like, 
you know, uh, they, they just, they just lost the, 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 you know, the, the NBA draft lottery or something. And they're like, yo, are you okay? You're holding up. And like, it's not just one of those things that just kind of wears off. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like you said, your soul feels heavy and days you wake up and you just kind of like, man, like it's, I can't, I can't stop being black and I can't just, you know, uh, it, it's not one of those things where I'll, I'll say I'm okay for, you know, your comfort, but there's other folks that I can confide into and be like, you know, actually I'm not okay. Like you're one of those people where I'm like, you know what? It, it hasn't been good. I'm not good. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I'm going to be good for a long time. And even, you know, in a weird way, and I was talking about this with a couple of my friends, it, it was kind of like the weird COVID effect where you don't even trust good news anymore. You're just kind of like, mm. So yeah, I, I literally right before I called you, I, I read about the Minneapolis Police Department um, disbanding and and putting uh, money into you know uh, pretty much a community led self police uh, you know sort of thing you know and that sounds good and it feels like you know actual progress is being made and and even in my most pessimistic state, I still kind of feel like that uh, you know change is actually you know actually going to come from all this like it feels like for the first time ever people are really like okay yeah not nah, like things has to change now but i'm just so conditioned to okay this is good for now and then bam like just the other foot just drops so i'm trying dude and uh, in, in, in short i'm trying but yes i am engaged now you're actually the first person i've talked yeah. to <laughs> on the pod since since uh since i since i uh pop the question so that thank you thank you for asking i mean that's that's the thing man through all like pain we still find joy like even back in the days with the spirit negro spirituals right so when i saw that you got engaged through all this pain i was like well my brother just got engaged there's something to smile about yeah beautiful man so it's like you getting engaged while everybody else is there's pain but we got to find some light that was my light man even though we don't talk every single day yeah. You know, you're 2,000 miles away from me. I'm out here in Vegas. But as soon as I saw that, it lit up my entire day. I told my wife. I was like, yo, Kaz got married. She's like, Kaz? I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's my <laughs> man. Like, he got engaged. And she was like, well, that's beautiful. Like, through all this, I was like, yeah. So congratulations to you. And I hope everybody can at, at least take some joy in that, man. Because that's, I mean, the engagement was beautiful. Thank you. Brother. It was her birthday also, man. Like, I, I had a plan to the T. And, you know, when I... I you know, I, I I don't think we've ever spoke about you know your your relationship, but when you're popping a question, you just never you know she's gonna say yes, but you're still just always thinking of every like awful scenario where yep. like okay, I'm gonna drop the ring, or oh she's gonna like get cold feet, or or she's like oh my god, what are you doing, or like say no, and like all these other things, and I was terrified, like terrified for like the first like well the last maybe two and a half weeks. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, she lives with me. We're together all the time. So she always knows when I'm off. Like, she always knows where I'm just like, uh, well, you know. Like, so she was asking me, like, oh, are you, like, are you good? Is everything all right? And I'm just like, I'm, just, I'm nervous. I was a nervous wreck. And so this whole time I'm thinking, okay, she's on to me. It's not even going to be a surprise. She's going to fake <laughs> beating surprise and shit. But it went off without a hitch, man. And, and I'm really happy about it. And like you said, um, you know, the one power that black folks tend to usually have is always finding light within the darkness and always trying to find, you know, there's, oh, we've always, you know, 
shit, we made soul food, we made chitlins, we made, <laughs> we right. would take any awful situation and, you know, we'll, we'll try to find the good in it. We'll try to find the light in it. So, um, and granted, it's, that's not the reason why I proposed. I mean, like, it's the love of my life for somebody I've, I've been together with and been madly in love with since I was in high school. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's my, it's my joy and my happiness. So I really do appreciate you reaching out, man. Real shit. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Definitely. Now you, you said it before, but you know, you're out in, you're out in Las Vegas, you know what I mean? And this past weekend, um, you know, the UFC brought back, you know, they, they get, they, they came back home, you know what I mean? UFC 250 was this past weekend headlined by Amanda Nunez. And there was a lot of big fights and a lot of incredible, you know, uh, finishes and and even the prelims i feel like that's kind of been that's kind of been a uh a a theme this this during this entire pandemic like as crazy as it's been to watch these fights with no crowds and and no real you know not not a whole lot of fanfare around it i feel like it hasn't it hasn't drowned out the fight quality at all like i feel like all these fights have been incredible fights and i'm just thinking okay maybe am i just am i just so hyped to see any sort of sports activity that like i'm i'm gassing up how good these fights are but andreas you're on the ground you're you're there every day and seeing everything am i bugging like are these fights like actually better during the pandemic uh it's 50 50 man i mean i think it's partially because i mean we're starving man like you you know eddie murphy said you give me a cracker it's gonna be the best cracker ever (laughs) however these are Ritz crackers, man. These guys are throwing down. These guys and girls are throwing down. So this past week, you mentioned UFC 250, a pay-per-view that on paper didn't look that great. It looked like a solid pay-per-view. But mm-hmm. Amanda Nunez being at the top of the card and where we can start taking away the greatest women's fight of all time, we got to start talking about how great she is overall. Oh, yeah. It's, not, it's time to start throwing around that GOAT conversation, like legit, legit. like Legit. Ugh. Yeah, but Vicious. go ahead. You have that, and then you have the, the Bantamweight shine. You had Cody Garbrand. You had Sean O'Malley, who was looking like a star. And then you had the boy, Aljamain Sterling. My boy. Tying it up. Man, man. That, I mean, that's, that's the guy. I mean, you've talked to him. Yeah, that's, yeah. I've talked to him. I've talked to him for many years. And to see him, you know, shine like he has, and then directly after winning the fight, instead of praising himself, he spoke about the protests. Yes. So it's yeah. like – that's what we need. We need cats on the front lines doing that. You win in fights, but it's like you represent it inside and out the cage. Devin Clark took a knee during mm-hmm. his introduction and threw up the fist. He was fighting a dude that uh, Alonzo Menafield, whose father was killed by the LAPD. It doesn't get much blacker than that. Man, and, and, and it didn't even really hit me while it was happening. Like, this is kind of like the first real big sporting event since the entire world's been taken over by, you know, these these incredible incredibly powerful protests and the last thing i was thinking about while i was watching this like how are these athletes going to react to this and you know i'm watching a timeline like i do with every combat sport um event and you know i'm seeing you know people taking knees and throwing the fists up and coming out to fight to fight the power and aljermaine sterling a long island native a guy who you know me and you have talked to a lot and we've seen for a long time coming as far as like being one of the going from a top prospect and being like one of these prodigies to now like, okay, it's time to put the gold in this dude. You know what I'm saying? Like he, you know, there was so many incredible, incredible performances. And I want to go down the line for all of them when we get the chance to, but let's talk about Aljamani Sterling, man. It feels like in the past couple of years, we've had just so many of these rising black stars in the UFC just kind of take 
the, the, the entire game by storm. We got Izzy Adesanya. We got Usman. You got, uh, you got, uh, uh, uh Aljamain. You got all of these incredibly talented fighters that aren't just, you know, that, that aren't just, just, just there just to be, you know, the, the, the props for the other, like, quote unquote, like, propped up stars. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's talking Jose Aldo and after uh, Henny Cueto retired or, or whatever he's doing right now, I guess he's an AEW backing up Mike Tyson or something like that. Like, now, you know, you got another guy in Aljamain Sterling who might be that next dude. And it wasn't one of those, you know, fun fights. Like, it was an absolute star-making performance by him. Tell me about what you saw from Aljamain this past weekend. Well, look, man, Aljo had won four fights in a row. He got hit kicked to hell by Marlon Moraes a couple of years ago, and it, it knocked him out of title contention. So he had to work his way up the hard way. Mm-hmm. And Corey Sanhagen was a guy who was on a complete run, undefeated in the UFC. I had an incredible offensive output. And it was like the real main event to a lot of people. It was a true 50-50 fight until the shit happened. As soon as, you know, Aljo came out, closed the distance, threw a couple kicks, took him down, wrapped him up, choked him out. But he's always had that level of skill. You know, it just took him a minute to really find his stride. I know he was working on his striking a little bit because his jujitsu game has always been great. His wrestling has been phenomenal. But he's always needed to work on his striking. And his striking has gotten a lot better. But in this fight... We didn't even see any striking. Like, as soon as the the bell rang, uh, it it seemed like he was three places at once. Like, dude, like, he he cornered him. It was like he he made sure his opponent had nowhere to go. And as soon as he got that body triangle on him, he was just fucking stuck. And it was just a matter of time. Like, no matter how much his opponent moved and and got around and tried to make make sure he was was free, Aljamain was, like, literally, like, white on fucking rice when it came to this dude. Like, he was completely and utterly dominated and shut out. And like you said, after the fight, you know, he didn't put the attention on himself. He didn't talk about how, how dominant he was. The first thing he said was, we need to, you know, there, there, there's things going on in the world that's bigger than him. And, you know, the plight of black athletes and, and just black people, you know, I, I was so happy to see him say that. I was so happy to see him just, you know, completely turn it around and say exactly what I wanted to hear from him as soon as that fight was over. Yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of people get stuck on, you know, what celebrities and athletes, what they're going to say. You know, do they have an obligation to the community? And I say yes and no because all celebrities, we don't really want to hear them talk. You know, so right. I'm good. Don't like Lil Wayne. Exactly. <laughs> I love Lil Wayne, but I'm like, man, just please, just please stop talking, my nigga. Please just shut up. You know, if you got some money to donate, do that, but sh- just shut up. Do, but do, take the Kanye route. Take the Kanye route. Just shut up and <laughs> open your purse. Exactly. Shut up and open your purse, my G. But somebody like Aljo, who, if you've talked to him over the years, he is about African-American community. You know, he's also Jamaican, so he represents real tough. Right. So when he took that opportunity, because during pre-fight, like during fight week, he was talking about it as well. So when he took that opportunity to make sure that it got addressed, because, I mean, shit, man, we're not anybody without our community. The community's propped us up and given us these opportunities to even shine like this. And right. we're going to be the ones supporting Aljo. When Aljo rocks the flat top with the dookie rope chain, <laughs> he's representing us. Yes. So when that brother did that, man, it was such a beautiful thing. And I'm glad that not only that he won, but he was able to say that and still remain true to who he is. So... Now it's like, yeah, let's see this man get that title opportunity because he deserves it. He's earned it. Dana White said after the fight, Aldo's next in line. Um, uh, Jose, I mean, not Aldo. Sterling's next in line because Jose Aldo's fighting Petra Yan for the title in July. Mm-hmm. And then Aldo's getting that next shot. So we'll see what happens. But the dude is a bad motherfucker. He can fight. 
Bad dude. And and, and on top of that, the end of his uh, post-fight conference, he he said, you know, he wants to bring the UFC to Jamaica. And I don't, I don't think the UFC is ready for, ready for a Jamaican uh, event right there, man. And, and, you know, who knows at this point, the dude's going to be a star. If, if his star continues to rise, like, do you see the UFC making its way to Jamaica at some point? I mean, maybe. I mean, we've looked at, uh, you know, they've been talking about Africa for a while with Francis Ngannou, with Izzy. Like, they've all, Kamar Usman, Nigerian blood. It's like these guys. Oh, yeah. That's got to happen. That's got to happen happen. for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think when fighters are, because the UFC's always talked about going into other territories. Like, they always go to Brazil. They've been, like, to Russia. They've been everywhere. But Jamaica, they've got to cultivate a base. And who better to cultivate that base than Aljamain Sterling? So, why not? I mean, I guess at a certain point, you got to build the infrastructure. I mean, they just talked about building Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> you can do a fight in Jamaica, man. It doesn't Absolutely. cost that much to build an arena there. So let's make it happen. Absolutely. Um, in addition to the UFC 250, uh, a lot of people were expecting some fireworks from Amanda Nunes, like she always puts together. But, I mean, there were just some incredible finishes. Two walk-off knockouts. One by Sean O'Malley that was one of the coldest knockouts I've ever seen. And you were you were singing the praises of Sean O'Malley a lot before that fight started. I didn't know much of him. He just looked like a guy that looked like a, a brolic Takashi 6'9". Tell the world about Sean O'Malley because if you didn't know about him this past Saturday, you goddamn sure know about him now. Yeah, I mean, yes, he's a bantamweight. He's tall. He's skinny. He's rangy. Uh, he's colorful, tatted up. I mean, he always has the crazy hairstyles. He got busted for smoking weed. So it's, it feels like he's one of us, right? But then he can scrap. <laughs> Yo, the man can scrap. And people, this was the true litmus test. Eddie Wineland was a former WEC champion, a seasoned veteran. Uh, O'Malley's finally put in there tough, and people wanted to see, are you all flashing fair, or you could back it up? And the, con- the way he put together that knockout by feigning the right uppercut, making Wineland's hand dip, and then just clocking him with the walk-off, and mm. then being cold enough to say, I don't even need to follow up with any more strikes. <laughs> I'm walking this thing off. This was like the Barry Bonds, let's just let it rip and just walk away. That's what it looked like. It felt like, you know, I've never, granted, I've never knocked anybody out like that. But, you know, I played a lot of baseball. And when you hit it right, you don't need to even look at the ball. Like, you, like you just hear the, the, the certain crack of the bat. It's like, yeah, that's, you're, at, this, at this point, you're just seeing how far it's going to go. You know what I mean? And that's what it looked like with that walk-off knockout. That's when you know he had, you have something different when in terms of power. Because he hit the man and walked away. Like, he didn't check to see if the ref wanted to check on him. <laughs> he didn't see if it was like, listen, the knockout was so bad. If you listen real close to the audio, you can hear Eddie Wineland snoring. Oh, my gosh. He's a star, man. He, the bantamweight division is huge. Like I said, you got Aljamain Sterling. Now, Sean O'Malley is going to crack the top 15. He's going to be on his way up. I know a lot of people want to compare him to uh, Conor McGregor, in a sense, because he's flashy. He knocks people out. And a lot of people say it's unfair. but Maybe it's not. Maybe we really got a new star on our hands that he doesn't talk like McGregor, but he's got that swag, man. He's got a little bit something different. I mean, you look at him and you're like, no, this ain't your usual typical fighter, man. He's right. something different. Like I said, man, man's got busted for weed and had to sit out for a couple years. Came <laughs> back kicking ass. So you got to be on the lookout for this man because he's dangerous. I'm sure he's going to get another fight later this summer, maybe early fall. Dangerous man, man. He, he, he looked like a champion. He he absolutely struck me as a, as a future star. Just the way he was just carrying himself in a locker room, just like he couldn't even be bothered. Just, you know, just the, the coolest dude in the entire room. And 
to have that be like your signature knockout, like right after that, I'm like, oh, okay, you're you, you hit the nail on the head. This dude's different. This dude's completely different. And you know, the UFC is going to need some stars, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But I also want to talk about uh, Cody, who you know he's had some ups and downs recently, but again, in a night full of just incredible, amazing knockouts. I, I don't even know if, if, if Sean O'Malley had the best one of the night because a few minutes later, <laughs> Cody hit him with the Tiger uppercut and, and put, put homeboy to sleep. So please walk me past that if you can. Yeah, so listen, Cody Garbrandt's a guy who was the UFC Bantamweight champion when he dominated Dominic Cruz, and he mm-hmm. looked like the next big thing. And then he had those two fights with TJ Dillashaw where emotions took over, and that's what ended up getting him knocked out because he fought with pure emotion instead of using his skill. Right. The same happened in his next fight with Pedro Munoz. So Garbrandt switched camps. He's gone to, to Mark Henry uh, and Ricardo Almeida to work on his jujitsu. But what we saw was a calm, composed Cody Garbrandt. And if anybody's familiar with Justin Gaethje, the guy who likes to go to war, the, be- the scariest thing about a guy who likes to go to war or a guy who takes a measured approach to war, mm. who doesn't just go in there blind and just start swinging them things because he can think he can knock everybody out. And that's what Garbrandt did against the Sunshine. The Sunshine is a guy who doesn't really get knocked out. Super durable, right. great jujitsu practitioner. But Garbrandt's hands were phenomenal. His movement was great. He just looked like he's got a new lease on life in the UFC. But that knockout in particular, my man's, my man's did the Mortal Kombat. You remember when you crouched down, you hit the uppercut? Yes, he hit the little charge button. And yeah. you see the red fill up. And then it's like, okay, there it is. And it was at the buzzer. On some yeah. cookie shit. Like, just a walk-off uppercut, buzzer-beaten knockout, like, couldn't even be saved by the bell. Couldn't even, like, fake like it didn't hurt. Like, no, he was out like a light. And one of the, gosh, in a night full of knockouts, like, five minutes earlier, I'm like, damn, Sean O'Malley, one of the best knockouts I've ever seen. And then, boom, right right back there. Like, it was, it was an incredible pay-per-view. Like you said, on paper, didn't look like anything to write home about. I personally right. was just watching to see Aljamain and, and see how he's doing because, you know, there were other betting weights on that on that card and wanted to see how he stacked up. Um, but man, just there's, there's a lot to talk about with uh, this new breed. I don't even say new breed, but you know, a lot of star making performances with everything going on with the UFC. Um, and speaking of which we, we mentioned it earlier, uh, Amanda Nunes, uh, another person who has a, a who's who of people she's either finished or put to sleep whether it's Holly Holm or Cyborg or Ronda Rousey, double weight champ, you know what I mean? And you said it, it was easy to just go with her being, okay, this is the best woman's fighter ever. It, it, ESPN was really pumping a narrative of her being the GOAT, and I'm just like, okay, this is them just doing what they got to do to sell a fight because, you know, they got to do, you know, it's it's rough out here and people got to pay pay-per-views and whatnot, but... You're you're on the ground, man, and you've seen Amanda Nunes for a long time, and she has not, you know, even looked. I, I don't even think I've ever seen her look like she was in danger, as far as like she's been a, a champion. And uh, last night, another another day at the office with her, man. She just absolutely dominated uh, and put Felicia Spencer away. So talk to me about Amanda Nunes. What more can be said about the Linus? I mean, we look at this woman who showed up on the scene. Like, her last loss was to Kat Zingano about four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Since then, she had worked on her striking in the ground game, um, and she's just been a monster. I mean, she destroyed Misha Tate. She destroyed Ronda Rousey. She had two incredibly close fights with Valentina Shevchenko, but she won. And Valentina is, like, 
the 1B to, to Nunez 1A in the women's, right. this women's MMA. Shevchenko's phenomenal. Then she goes out there and washes Cyborg. Washed her. Wasn't even close. Just yeah. put her to sleep. And Cyborg was, you know, she was like my Terminator for a long time. I was like, Everybody. you know, now these people was like, you know, no, nobody. We love Ronda Rousey, but she was, we felt like she was hot, running and hiding from her for years. And we saw why, you know what I mean, when Amanda Nunes came to town. And then Amanda Nunes put Cyborg out. So no. at what point do you start like really saying, okay, well, whose resume really holds up when it comes to her? It's, it's not a lot of people, man. I mean, in MMA, period. When you right. talk about the best women's fighters of all time, she's already fought and beat all of them. She's watched both divisions. Mm. A lot of people don't recognize, like, she's the first fighter, not just woman fighter, but male or female, to simultaneously defend two titles in two different weight classes. Connor won one, but he didn't defend the other. Right. Like, same with Daniel Cormier. Like, he didn't, he didn't hold titles in both divisions and defend them both simultaneously. She did. Nunez just came off of beating Jermaine Durandamy, moved back up to featherweight, and completely dominated Felicia Spencer, which in one of the most one-sided beatdowns that we've ever seen. They could have stopped that fight at any given moment. I thought I was watching a sparring match. I thought we were just watching her just work out. I'm like, especially after all those knockouts and those incredible finishes early in the day, I was like, all right, this is, this is a clinic. Like, it's an absolute fucking clinic. It's a beatdown. So here's the thing, man, because I know we're going to talk about, like, stars in the UFC. I feel like the UFC dropped the ball with Amanda Nunez. Right. She could be a massive star. And if anybody remembers, like, she beat Misha Tate in the UFC 200 to become the women's bantamweight champion. Right. And when she was booked to fight Ronda Rousey on Ronda's return, the entire promotion was built about around Ronda Rousey. Amanda wasn't even in the commercial. Hmm. Right. So if you're going to build new stars, you have to promote them like stars. You can't rely on the old heads to carry you through the new frontier. And not to mention Amanda Nunez, you know, she rep- represents the gay community. She's got a baby on the way. She's, you know, she's married to Nina Ansaroff, who is her wife, who is pregnant with a child. And there's so many communities that you can hit. She's a person of color. She's from Brazil. How could you not promote this as your next big superstar? Instead, they put her on co-main events. They booked Ronda Rousey as a superstar, and she washed her. Mm-hmm. Like, even the Cyborg fight wasn't a main event that night. It was a co-main event. So now you're here, and Dana White's like, yeah, this is the greatest women's fighter of all time. Treat her that way. Yeah. Treat her like a star, but you have to promote her and put her in position to succeed. Like, we should be seeing her in, like, commercials. We should see her everywhere, and we don't. And yeah, we, now see, like- we see her in that one Modelo commercial, but even before that. And that's why it's so hard for, you know, casuals to watch. And, like, you start throwing around these, this greatest of all time stuff. It's like, well, y'all haven't treated her like that. Because all I hear about is your McGregor's, your Khabib's, your John Jones's, your, uh, all these other people before you even get to not just a female fighter, but, like, somebody, like you said, has dominated two divisions and defended two titles at the same time while putting away, you know, the people that you've propped up as, like, the faces of your division, like the Holly Holmes, the Rouseys, all this type of stuff. You were on the front lines with that conversation for a long time, saying that the UFC didn't do right by her for a long, long time. And now it almost seems like they're playing catch-up. They're almost playing catch-up where it's like, okay, well, we got to find the the, the new stars because, you know, and that leads me into my next topic. It feels like the UFC – has a problem at the top of their at the top of their roster. You know what I mean? Like at first, you know, granted John Jones has his own issues with, you know, stuff off off the off the octagon and and and, and away from, you know, the cage, but you know, he's gotten to it with Dana White. Then, you know, you hear things about Conor McGregor and then he announces that he's retiring. And then 
what what you could take as a grain of salt. And then you got Jorge Masvidal, who was the guy that you just finished building up as like your new megastar, your new crossover mainstream guy. And now he has issues with Dana White and, and payment and and everything right now. So Andreas, like, tell me, like, what is the UFC's star making problem right now? Like, what is the the biggest hurdle that you know you see that is that the common denominator with all three of these like household names? Well, I mean, we we talk about money, right? But this the other thing here is branding. So. The UFC has put the UFC ahead of every fighter. It puts the brand first and then the fighter second. Right. And you have outliers like Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey who become bigger than the brand and they get compensated properly, but they're outliers. The UFC doesn't build stars. They build a brand. So whenever you see like the UFC brand, you see UFC and then you see Dana White and then you see the fighters, right. which leads to a bigger issue of, of star building. Also, let's be honest, they're not really good at telling stories about people of color. They just haven't been. Mm-hmm. They focus on the Conor McGregor's, but Conor McGregor built himself up himself. Like, there's not many people that can do that. He had the Irish community behind him as well. But John Jones should be a fucking superstar. Let's just yeah. be honest. I, I feel like the, he was the closest guy, you know, and, and we'll, we'll talk into the economics of all this. But, you know, I feel like the Reebok deal did him zero favors because, granted, you know, John Jones, he had his own dealings off the court, off the field, just, you know, staying out of trouble or whatever. But, like, I remember the John Jones Nike deal. I remember the John Jones campaign where, like, they were pre- pretty much treating him like UFC LeBron James, like this young, you know, charismatic, like, exciting fighter who was, you know, just tearing up the division and had the swoosh on his back. You know what I mean? And I felt like he was going to be the guy that everybody – like, when you think of mixed martial arts, you think of him. Like, and, you know, it just kind of faded away. And how much does that have to do with this Reebok deal that's kind of, like, handicapped so many brand partnerships with these fighters and how much does that have to do with just you know the the business dealings of Dana White and seeing how he kind of has 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 I know you you saw the press conference yesterday like he just kind of was very dismissive about you know the the the, everything that was going on and the Conor McGregor stuff and the Jorge Masvidal stuff like it's almost like he couldn't be bothered with it like which is more you know important when it comes to this 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 whole kind of issue that he has in his hands right now I mean, it's one and the same. So the Reebok deal was a deal that the UFC created that made them a windfall of money, but it took away the fighters' opportunity to get outside sponsors. Mm. And a lot of fighters were making great money doing that, but they were also getting great exposure because the, the John Jones situation with Nike was the Bones Nose, which was a dope concept, a yeah. good, dope shirt. And there were more opportunities for John to, to branch himself outside. Now, granted, he's had the outside of the cage issues, but so did Floyd Mayweather, and he ended up being a, a filthy rich fighter. <laughs> right. So, the, the filthiest of the rich. <laughs> the most disgustingly rich fighter I've ever seen. So in the case of John Jones, it's like, well, you have to push these guys and promote them instead of basically cutting them off at the knees in terms of branching out, reaching out. And on top of that, the UFC, I feel like as a marketing co- company, like you should put them, again, in positions to succeed with the black community. We'll support a black fighter if we see him. But if you continue to hide them and not put them like, I don't know, man, like put them in, you know, put them in, have them do something with genius or have him, you know, sit with Diddy or do something to make it feel like he's one of us. He should have been in the music. Like, you remember growing up, how many fighters you would see in just music videos? Bro. Just standing there like. Zab Judah. Welcome to Atlanta videos. Like, yo. I can't tell you a Fernando Venia stat line out of anywhere, but I know he was in the video for Welcome to Atlanta. I was like, oh, yeah, the St. Louis Cardinals, yeah. 
when St. Lunatics came on, Fernando Vina. I don't even know if he was a good baseball player. I just remember his jersey and being there. And I feel like with John Jones, he the fact that he's not a household I mean, I guess he's a household name to a guy like us, but like he should be as well known as Floyd Mayweather. There's there's Absolutely. no bones about that. Like the Bones Knows campaign was such a, a layup. As far as like, you know, they already had Bo Knows and Bo Jackson and Bo can do everything. And John Jones, when it comes to mixed martial arts and, and, and fighting, he can do everything. Like he is literally the perfect fighter. And it's mind boggling to me that, you know, I mean, granted, we understand why he's, he's you know, he's, he's fucked up off the field and, you know, with the drugs and all that type of stuff. But it hasn't stopped a lot of people before him, you know what I mean? So I kind of got to put that onus on Dana White in the UFC and their ability not really to make stars. Yeah, I just don't think that they want to. In the whole situation with John Jones, he's like he was willing to move up to heavyweight to fight Francis Ngannou, who's the scariest man in the heavyweight division, and he asked to, you know, for more money. And Dana told him no. Well, Dana and the UFC told him no. I won't put the onus completely on Dana White because there's other right. people there as well. Right. But they told him no. And John says he was promised they've moved up to heavyweight. He'd get a new contract. You're fighting the most dangerous man in the UFC as a light heavyweight moving up to that division. Pay the man. Yeah. It's, not like, it's not like he's a fighter that's, uh, you know, super technical skilled. Like, okay, like he's a heavyweight, but you can see how John Jones – no, this guy has – nightmarish knockout scary power you know what i mean like if there's any sort of fight that you don't want if you're changing into a new division it's a guy who not just has a weight advantage on you but a strength and uh you know a a boxing advantage on you as well like he's got hands of stone and you know i haven't seen john jones really get tested since i guess alexander gustafson and gustafson is nowhere near the strong guy the strong man that that zanganu is yeah, and, and that the crazy thing is, like, you know, Daniel was like the economics, the pandemic and all that shit. Y'all got the money yeah. because the fighters only get 17% of the share that the UFC brings in. God, and if you know the – come on. <laughs> NFL, NBA, like, that's why you have unions to make right. sure fighters are getting compensated properly. Like, Masvidal's situation is he says he's going to fight Kamaru Usman, but the UFC offered him less to fight for the title than he did when he fought Nate Diaz. Right. What sense does that make? If I'm fighting for the title, I should get paid more, right? Right. So the economics are completely messed up. And as much as Dana wants to say, well, they can show you what, we, what they get paid, but they choose not to. No, that's your job. That's your job to make the fighters feel comfortable. It all feels like hush money under the table at the end of the day for a lot of these fighters. Mm-hmm. But when John Jones says, I want Deontay Wilder money, and Deontay Wilder made $28 million fighting Tyson Fury and getting his ass handed to him, John on paper makes half a million on paper. He probably goes home with maybe $5 million. Uh-huh. Maybe. Uh-huh. But that's still not close to what Wilder makes. And John Jones has been dominating the UFC for a decade. Right. Pay the man, Sally. Get Andy up. The man deserves <laughs> his bread. Like, you can't keep doing this. The fighters are eventually going to revolt. And I that's think that's that. my next thing. Like, at this point, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's ever been a time in UFC history where you got three of your most famous fighters – all either threatening to leave, already retired, or just completely not fucking with you. So, you know, when it comes to Conor McGregor, we, we get it. He's got, he's got proper 12 money. If I was him, I wouldn't fight either, yeah, again, ever. At like, all. I, see, I see proper 12 in literally every, in every liquor store. He's super good. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the fight money. But 
with all these other guys, you know, what, what, what else do you do? I mean, do you go to the WWE? Do you try and make the boxing super fights happen? Like what, what's, what's out there for a Masvidal or a John Jones or, or any of these guys if, you know, the UFC is going to continue to fuck you over when it comes to being compensated properly? Yeah, I mean, they need to unionize. And if you're a guy like John Jones, you can lead the union because you're, you're that figure that people will play, pay attention to. Like, a women's fighter by the name of Leslie Smith tried to start a fighter union, but the fact of the matter is not enough people care about her. So when she's talking about equal pay, they're like, who cares? But if a massive all, Conor McGregor, who doesn't really have to, but a John Jones says, hey, let's unionize. We all are getting compensated properly. And the fighters get behind that because there is no UFC without the fighters. Right. Just like there's no NBA without the players and no NFL without the players, there is no UFC without the fighters. So they got to take a stand. They got to say, you know what? I might eat this one. You're not going to have an event because none of us are going to fight until we start really talking about the X's and O's of the economics of the UFC. We want to be paid properly. Do they all deserve boxing money? No. Mm-hmm. But they deserve more than some of these guys getting paid $12,000 to show and $12,000 to win. That's insane. Twelve and twelve—that's twenty-four thousand dollars. You know how how much some fighters' camps cost? I know, girl. I know girls that get more money off an Instagram post and shit. And they're not putting their lives on the line to show. Exactly, they're not over. They're not going there walking in like, yeah, I'm gonna get concussed today. No, not at all. (laughs) It's crazy. They're putting their lives on the line for our entertainment, and and you know the training is rigorous. Like, there's so many things that these guys and girls are doing. They need to be paid properly. It's not, again, it's not like the UFC doesn't have it. The deal with Endeavor is ridiculous. They got billions of dollars to, to spend. No matter what any company tells you, you know this, you work, in, you know, you work for big outlets. They always got the money. Whenever they it. say they ain't got the money, they got the fucking money. Like, yeah, especially companies. Fighters need, need to take a stand, man. If Masvidal doesn't want to fight, look, maybe, maybe you dare the UFC to release you, right? Right. You dare them. Like John Jones has done it, Masvidal has done it. You damn. Cejudo retired. And as much as Cejudo says, you know, I was tired, if they paid him right, he'd fight. Mm-hmm. But if, you, if a lot of these fighters take a stance and step back and maybe explore their opportunity and say, you know what, maybe I'll try the WWE out. Or maybe I'll go to another fight and promotion. Or maybe I'll just fucking sit out. Yeah. And see what happens. Because events, they got to come back. The, the brand can't be bigger than the fights. It just can't be. Well, but at the same time, though, then you got you got events like this past Saturday night where – you know, a lot of these guys that aren't necessarily, you know, people that, that jump off the page on a UFC card, putting on incredible fights and everyone goes home happy and nobody's really thinking about, you know, these fights. And, and then you wonder, then it gets your mind wondering, like, oh, okay, like, this is why Conor McGregor announces he's going to retire, like, during event. This is why Jorge Masvidal makes sure to go on Center and talk to Scott Van Pelt, like, right before a UFC event. Like, this is all sort of, like calculated moves that they're all doing like okay we know that you know we're just we're we're, we're bloodthirsty americans and if you show us fighting and, and it's good fights and we don't really care about the the backstage politics and the economics and all that type of stuff we're gonna watch whatever they know that there's gonna be more eyes on them at this moment than there probably ever is and now like it seems like almost a coordinated effort from all these star fighters to be like hey we need our we need our proper cut of the pie like, there's, there's no way that you even get this Endeavor deal that's worth billions of dollars not on the back of Conor McGregor, not on the back of John Jones. Jorge Masvidal, he's on the rise, but he's another guy who, you know, he's, he's getting into that, like, sort of Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, like, mainstream sort of appeal. And 
he's got that BMF title that, which I, to this day, I still really don't know what that means, but I mean, I, I guess it's, it's a cute little silver belt to have, but you know, these are guys that you're building up only to not really compensate them on the back end. And it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Cause I feel like if you're Dana White, you want these guys to be bigger than the brand. Like no one's going to look at John Jones and like, I, I always think of, I love saying everything is wrestling. Shout out to Comet who, who tweets it all the time. But like, I feel like everything's wrestling because when it comes to guys like Vince McMahon, he doesn't mind having his stars be bigger than the brand because no matter how big the rock gets at the end of the day, he's a WWF superstar. No matter how big John Cena gets, no matter how many commercials he does, how much money he's making, he's still a WWF guy, still a WWE guy. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't feel like that with Conor McGregor. It doesn't feel like it didn't feel like that with Ronda Rousey. It doesn't feel like that with a lot of these people. So I mean, it's 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 in a weird, it's a very weird and touchy situation for Dana White. He's kind of playing both. I don't know how long he could play both sides before something has to give with the fighters and the way he pays them and the company he runs. Yeah, and I think that Conor McGregor might have been his worst nightmare. As much as he loves Conor, the scariest thing that Conor did was go box. Yeah. Yeah. And then come home with a hundred million dollars, and then look at his pay, fighting Floyd Mayweather and getting his ass kicked in a fight he should have never been in in the first place. And look at his pay for the Khabib Nurmagomedov fight, which Where you got, got your ass kicked out of him. Hundred million dollars. It kind of tips the scales a little bit. It makes you wonder, like, well, how much? If they could pay me this much, why can't you pay me this much? Mm-hmm. And if the other fighters who like a Khabib who kicked kind of his ass goes, well, shit, I just beat up a guy who made a hundred million dollars. Where the money at? Yeah. Everybody wants to get paid and they should be compensated properly. Like Dana has done a fantastic job keeping the fighters in line. You know, it's like you keep them in line, you pay them under the table. Oh, yeah, here's a, here's a discretionary bonus, $100,000. Sounds good in theory because if you're fighting for like $18,000, you get a $50,000 check. You're like, I got $50,000. But then when you look at the overall pie and you were like, well, shit, man, they just sold, uh, you know, 500,000 pay-per-views for like $70 a pop. And then they got, you know, a full house, people paying at minimum of $100 and a couple thousand dollars to be in the arena. Well, $50,000 ain't shit. Mm. So pay up. And again, like you said, like where is the lack of benefit of seeing a John Jones show up in a movie, UFC light heavyweight champion, John Jones, people like they like him in the movie and they go, oh, I want to see this dude fight. Right. Demetrius Johnson, who the UFC traded to one championship, was the, like the, the other pound for pound champion at, the, at one time, was a super gamer, still is. Why didn't the UFC leverage that star power on Twitch? Like, he's, a, he's got a massive pre- presence in gaming, but you would never know it because the UFC didn't put him in a position to succeed. It almost feels like, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, it feels like growing up, I see these UFC guys everywhere. I see Chuck Liddell everywhere. I used to see Sugar Rashad Evans. I used to see Rampage Jackson in movies. I used to see Ronda in everywhere. Like, I used to see these UFC guys everywhere. You know what I mean? And... Uh, entourage movies like fucking little cameos music videos like they were all they were stars within themselves like even boss rootin like who's just like an incredibly like charismatic guy ken shamrock like all these guys like i used to see these people everywhere and now it almost feels like there's a monopoly on the star power whereas you know the i'm looking at it i'm like okay well the ufc right now is probably bigger than it's ever been why am i not seeing these guys 
in every single form of pop culture when the sport is supposed supposedly bigger than it's ever been. Like everybody's talking about, you know, there was a couple of years ago when people thought boxing was dead. Like, there's, you know, there's no more boxing and nobody cares about it. Now everyone's like, well, boxing still where, still is where the money's at. You know what I mean? And there's still super fights and we, st- we got new stars. You got your Furies, you got your Wilders, you got your Joshua's, you got all these guys. And, you know, UFC had them on the ropes for a couple of years. And now it's just like the scales have just the, the, you, I'll, you know how they always say, man, like the, the shit, I'm forgetting the goddamn turn of phrase that we always use, but things escalated quickly when it came to boxing and mixed martial arts. Like now everybody's feeding for a boxing super fight. If you're a UFC star, at least to leverage that name, that name recognition and that star power for something. Yeah. I mean, they want that check. Yeah, you know they want that crossover money. There's a lot of opportunity to move in isolation. Like boxers don't have to really answer to their promoter in terms of oh, I want to go do this. All right, cool, go do that. I want to do this commercial. I want to do this ad. Like Manny Pacquiao is a Nike deal. Like yeah. the the Reebok deal really put the clamps on a lot of those fighters where they couldn't do like commercials. Uriah Faber, who I like to talk about all the time, because he was making so much money doing like Venom and Mountain Dew ads, mm-hmm. and then it just disappeared. And then your visibility disappears with it. And it feels like the UFC just wants to control that narrative. And actually, all the narratives. The former champion, Tyron Woodley, lived in Ferguson. During the Ferguson protests, Woodley was very outspoken. I talk to T. Wood all the time about it. But the UFC branded him as a villain. Dana White and him had a class all the time. But they could have leveraged Tyron Woodley being from Ferguson, Missouri, during those protests to bring new eyeballs to the sport because you have a man who loves his community and was knee-deep in the trenches, and they never put a spotlight on that. Yeah, It's just a miscalculation. Like, again, I keep saying it. They're not really good at telling stories about pe- for people of color. They're just not good at it. I've always thought for the long time, and maybe this is, this is probably why a lot of things have changed, I've always thought that the UFC needs more pro wrestling people in there. Like you could say a lot about the WWE and, and, and pro wrestling in general and the way you talk about it, but like they know how to sell a fight. They know how to tell a story. They know how to sell a fake fight. They like you mean you can't tell me a guy like 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 Paul Heyman, or I think Shane McMahon at one time was kind of like doing some work with the UFC or some sort of mixed martial arts. You can't tell me a guy like Paul Heyman can't go and make stars over there. You know what I mean? Even with the handcuffs that the UFC deals have, have put in place with people, like, you can't tell me that they can't go and hire some WWE guys or some pro wrestling guys, some, some pro wrestling minds to sell a fight. They don't know how to sell fights no more. Like, I feel like the only time I see any sort of, of uh, you know, hype for anything is, okay, they do a couple of, uh, they, do, they do a little uh, phone interview on first take. They do a uh, Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter. Ariel Hawani comes over and da- Daniel Cormier, God bless him, is on there. And then that's it. Like even, you know, by by Monday, by the time this podcast is out, it was like, are people still going to be talking about these crazy knockouts and these great fights? And the fact that three of the biggest stars in the UFC aren't, you know, seeing eye to eye with their owner. Not in the mainstream media, not really. I mean, because by Monday, we're right back to talking basketball coming back. We're right back to talking about the NFL, right back to talking about protesting we're right back to talking about everything that you know people you know that that people uh just correlate with their star athletes like Stephen Curry could go to a protest and that's the headline story you know what I mean like 
Damian Lillard could go to a protest, and that's a headline story. You said it, Tyrone Woodley being from Ferguson and being vilified for that. You know what I mean? Like kind of, I guess, the being vilified or however Dana White and the UFC kind of got with him on that. Like it just doesn't really make sense. It just, it just feels like that there's – there's a, I hate using the word systemic for something that's so, you know, not not as deep as what's really going on. But, like, I just feel like there's something going on behind the scenes as far as, like, how stories are created, how fights are promoted, that in the long run is going to be the death knell for the UFC. Like, I feel like they had boxing on the ropes There was a time where nobody really cared about a boxing match unless Floyd Mayweather was in it. And I would literally watch any UFC fight. I didn't care who was fighting. I was watching it because there was more action. I knew there was more of a chance of seeing a finish, seeing somebody tap out, seeing somebody get knocked out, seeing somebody come back from almost being knocked out. There was more excitement in that. And now, yeah, this is still true, but it hasn't correlated in the UFC taking over boxing as like the money making combat sport in the United States. Yeah. So listen, guys, you, you've worked in the music industry just like I have. And the reality is there's not enough black people, even in the music industry telling those stories. We Mm -hmm. know this, right? You need more black people in your newsroom. And I think the UFC is very much similar to the music industry where there's too many people who don't understand how to connect with a culture, a popular culture like hip hop. Because, Let's be honest, man. Israel Adesanya is doing a Black Lives Matter protest. The UFC should immediately send a press release that goes everywhere to make sure we all, everybody knows that this guy from New Zealand is, is speaking at a Black Lives Matter protest, right? right? Or if they're getting ready to fight, they should be doing Sway in the Morning, The Breakfast Club. They should do that New York hip-hop run. Fighters should be doing that even when they're not fighting. So the UFC's got a nasty habit of getting into a cycle to only promote fights and not the fighter. And there's, there's a big difference there. Like the WWE, yeah, they promote matches, but we get attached to the personalities, the heel and the baby face. Who's the heel in the fight? Who's the baby face? UFC's got to do the same thing, but I think it takes one, yeah, WWE mind, but you need more black people in your newsroom. We know how to, we know how to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. Storytellers are very important. And it doesn't mean you have to manufacture beef. It doesn't mean that you have to make it look extra fake. Like it's right there. It's right there for you. Like there's been, we've in in this, what, 30, 40 minutes sit down. We've already mentioned three mainstream, like pop culture storylines that have taken place, whether it's the LGBTQ community, whether it's uh, racial equality, whether it's black lives matter. These are things that are on the lexicon of the American psyche every single day. And the UFC dropped the ball on every single one of those stories. Like every single one. It's, it's, it's insane to me. Yeah, and I, Again, like you need more black commentators. You need more black, uh, like in MMA media, there's like me and maybe like six other people who are like regularly at fights that cover MMA. Yeah. There's not too many black people telling those stories, doing the interviews. So, like, I wrote a story on Devin Clark taking a knee. There wasn't too many outlets that understood how significant it was to that community, to our community, that this man took a knee. You need more black people, man. You need more people of color, period, because the majority of the UFC is built upon the backs of people of color. John Jones, a man, like, all, just about every single champion, if I really go down the list, with the exception of, like, Stipe Miocic, Everybody else is a person of color. Valentina Shevchenko is from another country. Everybody's not from America. 
Mm. But then you have all these black people that are shining. You have like you have this Latino community shining. You have the Brazilian community shining. You got to tell their stories to the community that connects, because for some reason, people still look at the MMA as a white boy sport. And it's not it's not. We dominate these sports like we always have. But you have to tell that story and you have to give these opportunities for people to shine. It just the UFC just doesn't understand it. Dana White, if you watch that press conference. Uh, a friend of mine, Cassandra, asked him about, is the UFC going to release a statement on the Black Lives Matter protest? And Dana White looked like he had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> How do you not? And if he doesn't, because we understand that there's blind spots, you work the WWE, Vince McMahon can't obviously watch everything that's going on. Right. She's got to be in Dana's ear. It was like, you know what, Dana? You got to say something. You should probably say something. And here, I'll write it up for you. And here, we're going to find the perfect verbiage, but you need to address it. He didn't even address it. He looked offended that he was asked that question. That doesn't endear him to us, to this community. And you got a bunch of black fighters that we're rooting for. And it's fucked up because even as you mention it right now, like I haven't like I wasn't even looking for something from Dana White. You know what I mean? Like it's weird that like this is a sport that I I highly enjoy and and I I participate not participate in, but like watch a lot of and consume a lot of. But like I, I wasn't even like even Vince McMahon had the enough enough mental fortitude to be like, okay, we got to put out something. Like we got to do something. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I guess it's almost like, well, you mentioned it just minutes before. The reason why people think the UFC is a white sport is because a lot of the audience that consumes it is Middle America. It's a lot of those people, and those are the blind spots that he has. And it's 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 really unfortunate because I feel like. And I hate to say it now because, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of people are going to be telling on themselves like they've been doing for the past 13, 14 days, just telling yeah. on themselves about like their their own racial blind spots. And the fact that they've been so just just dumbstruck for about these things for the longest time, it's going to make in the long run. It's not going to endear the UFC to, to to people of color. It's not, and once you're not endearing yourself to people of color, you're not endearing yourself to people. You know what I'm saying? Like now you're getting to the point where, okay, well, even like if Gushers and 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 Sour Patch Kids <laughs> could put out statements, you know what I'm saying? Just to cover their bases. Like now it's at the point where it's like, I, I mean, I'm I'm not looking for after the th- first two or three days of corporate statements from people, I'm like, all right, Chipotle, like, I'm good. Okay, we're straight. I don't need to know what the fuck your your, your stance on Black Lives Matter is. I appreciate it. Great. But I, I understand now at this point, it's a lot of covering your own ass. And the UFC hasn't really covered their own ass, not just now, but before then for the reasons that you said. Like, they just have blind spots. They don't have enough black people in those rooms. They don't have enough people telling the right stories. They don't have enough people to build these stars. And I think in the long run, it's going to cost that company so much money and so much fanfare because the way the future is being set up, the way athletes are, are, are starting to galvanize themselves, the way black people are not taking shit anymore, like it's, it's, in the long run, it's only going to fuck you over. It's only yeah. gonna fuck you over. So I hope Dana White gets his act together and the UFC just, you know, I hope I hope they figure it out soon because I really do enjoy it. But I I, I see it over the horizon. I, I know what's coming. Like in the next two or three years, like you're not gonna be able to slide on on, on a lot of shit. No, I mean, look, man, black fighters matter. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> they, they, they do, man. They're, they're part of the community. They're one of us. You got to prop them up. We, like, we will embrace them if they are presented to us. Like, I've been covering this sport for 10 years. I work at Sport News. I work with The Zone. Like, this is my beat. This is what I do. And it, it, it always um, is eyebrow-raising when I see that there are a lot of, you know, black folks who, who like MMA. They just don't really understand, like, well, why doesn't it speak to me the way that it should? Like, how is it, you know, these stories aren't hitting my heart the way that they should. Like, if you watch the UFC before an event, they do their series where it's like, I'm training and I'm getting ready for a fight and I'm doing a face-off. And it's like rinse and repeat. Yeah. That doesn't endear you to an audience. So it's like, these black fighters' stories matter and all the people of color stories matter. You got to be a better storyteller because fights are cool, but we don't root for the fights. We root for the fighter. So right. get something to root for. Andreas, man, I, I love talking with you. Uh, anything, I, I got to get ready to talk in your house in, in a couple of minutes but uh, for NXT TakeOver. But tell the people where they can find you, as always, man. I mean, it's easy. Once the fight's on, I see you on Twitter, I see you everywhere. <laughs> but for the people who may be new to you, let them know. Absolutely. Uh, on Twitter, at Andreas Hale, same with Instagram. Uh, I work, again, I'm senior editor of Combat Sports at Sport News in the Zone. I have a podcast myself called The Quarter Podcast with T- Kel Dansby, where we talk black perspectives on MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling. So that you can find me at those places. And, uh, yeah, I'm Rabble Rouse, and I'm always going to start some shit. So you can find me there. Follow me. Love me. Hate me. I don't even care. <laughs> Andreas, man, you're one, of the, you're one of the good guys, one of my good friends. I love you like a brother, man. Stay safe out there. I'm sure we'll be talking very, very soon about all this stuff, man. So be safe and, and stay free, my G. Peace out. Yes, sir. Peace out.